there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at, at First, first Listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts. Avito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Book of Joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. latest edition of the book of joe podcast with me tom verducci joe madden and a very very special guest think about this people there have been 119 world series played and only 11 times has someone closed out the clinching game of the world series by getting the last seven outs for a save and only one time the first time when it was finishing off a shutout in the clinching game of the World Series. And our guest is the one who did exactly that. Say hello, Joe, to Josh Spores, the save in game five of the 2023 World Series for the Texas Rangers. Hey, Josh, and congratulations. You did the Raleigh Fingers thing right there. That's that's kind of dinosauric. Uh, we don't permit that to happen anymore. Um, actually, I think I had one chance with uh, Wade Davis a couple years ago, but it was not the World Series. It was uh, National League uh, uh, Division uh, Championship Series. But anyway, regardless, great job. Really enjoyed watching you pitch. I'm just curious about the adjustments you made as you got into the World Series from the regular season, just little things like that. But nevertheless, um, nobody could ever take this away from you from now on. You're a World Series champion. It's a pretty awesome feeling. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thank you for having me on. Um, yeah, what an honor. I mean, pretty, pretty wild playoff run we just had. You know, what's interesting, Josh, is two of the last three times of the 11 times someone's got the last seven outs for a save to clinch the World Series. Bruce Bochy was the manager. Of course, the other was Madison Bumgarner <laughs> back in 14. Um, listen, I know you'll take the ball anytime, anyway. Uh, but how cool was that, that you just kept going back out there uh, for Bruce Bochy? Uh, you know, one, you know, when you have a coach like Bochy, you know, you, everything's up up for grabs um, in regards to you never really know what he's going to want from you. But, you know, as, as long as you're open and ready to go, you know, he's, he's always going to give you the ball. But, uh, you know, I think efficiency really played into it, uh, being able to go back out there. Um, I mean, the way LeClerc was pitching the whole postseason, uh, you know, I really truly thought he was going back out. But right when the eighth inning ended, they, uh, Mad Dog came up and was like, you ready to go back out? And I said, well, let's do it. And then sure enough, we, we routed off four runs. And I felt a lot better going back out. <laughs> well, you've got an amazing backstory, and we will get to that. 
But real quickly, I got to know, you know, what the last week has been like for you. Take me through the moments after the game. Uh, hopefully you had some family there at the ball game uh, that you could share immediately with. And, you know, a couple of days later going through the parade and everything that's happened in your life in the last week. Uh, it's been uh, it's been nonstop. Um, I was blessed to have a lot of my family out, a lot of my wife's family out to all the games. Um, so to be able to celebrate them celebrate with them was it was a pretty cool experience uh you know not too many times do, does the entire family get to get on the field but uh you know after after the game we got to celebrate uh, at the bar you know we stayed until it closed and then we kept going <laughs> and then uh you know day off you know good recovery day for everybody it was a tough flight home you know just to relax a little bit and then we had the parade and that was that was something cool. I mean, you know, I think they said 500,000 people came out and we, we lapped the field. And I mean, there wasn't an empty spot anywhere. So, I mean, just chaos, grateful. And, you know, I'm just happy I get to experience it. Yeah, I'm just um, trying to relive my experience as you're talking about that. Uh, the one thing I try to um, relate to my players and I try to do for myself is to take like mental snapshots of the moment. Um, they don't happen very often. I mean, of course, Boach has been blessed. This is his fourth time with, for him, three times in San Francisco. You're first here. Um, did you did you really uh, intentionally try to slow things down and, again, try to take that mental snapshot so remember it for a, a very, very long period of time? Because, again, it might be your only chance. It might happen again. But did you ever – did you have that kind of reflection at all? Yeah, I mean uh... – one of my teammates, Ian Kennedy, you know, played for 18 years. And I think this is either first or second time being the World Series. So, you know, being able to, you know, live through his shoes where, you know, you only get this opportunity maybe once. If you're blessed, you know, like you said, you'll get a few more. But, you know, right when it started, I told my wife, I was like, I want you guys at every game. You know, we don't know how many of these we get. And so and I just try to appreciate every, every series because, I mean, we ran through some pretty good – pretty good teams so you know just being able to slow down uh and enjoy it you know we were fortunate that i was able to josh i know it's a cliche but it's a cliche but because it's true and that is pitching taking it one pitch at a time so he you take the mound there and as i said you got the last seven outs but when it came down to a two strike count on Cattell Marte, at that point you have arrived at the point where let's face it every kid with a ball in his hand in the backyard who wants to be a pitcher dreams about closing out a world series with that last pitch uh and appropriately enough because i think your catchers do just an amazing job of receiving calling stealing pitches you name it yeah uh it's a called strike three so if you can remember back and think about being on the mound getting the pitch call from jonah heim what was going through your head and then kind of take me through that pitch as you see you get do get the call for strike three uh yeah set in i mean I mean, my scouting report is pretty pretty basic to lefties. I'm going to throw you a bunch of curveballs, a bunch of heaters, and, you know, uh, Kettle's a really good hitter. So I was, you know, it's kind of one of those things where best pitch, best location, let him try to hit it. Um, obviously, the location wasn't really where I wanted it. Top deck curveball, uh, not exactly the best pitch, but, um, you know, my goal there was – I just didn't want to walk them. I didn't want to put any added stress. You know, I wanted them, if they were going to beat me, put in play. Um, but ended up being one of those high entry curveballs, kind of an auto take pitch for good hitters. Um, but, you know, in the back of my mind, it was the moment was definitely creeping in. Uh, I think the first two batters, I kind of was able to, you know, uh, put that down, that sensation of wanting to celebrate early. But, you know, when that strike came, that final strike, I was just, I was just trying to get it over the plate and see what happens. And, you know, blessed for him to take it and then blessed to be able to celebrate the way we did. High entry curveball. I never heard that said before. The pitch was, <laughs> the, the, the pitch was so bad that it was good. That's what I would exactly. say. My, the That's, pitch was so bad that it's a good pitch because yeah. it is a strike. Nobody can hit it. You're not taught to throw it there, but eventually it works out well for you. But good for you, man. But I, I love that. I never heard of the high High entry <laughs> curveball is that what it was? Entry it, pitch. It's kind of one of those because yeah, I get Obviously it. have yeah. have a lot of bite to them, so mm -hmm. you know it's probably starting at their head and then ends up right at their at their chest. So it's kind of a frustrating pitch for hitters. 
just as to get off the top the topic, but not topic. So it's a curveball you're throwing there, right? It's not a yeah, it's not a slurve or a slur. Okay, spike. Okay, it's I personally try to slurve it. Uh, okay, I used to throw a twelve six. It was big. I just could never command control it, it right? Uh, mm-hmm. Or you know, it just you know, when you throw those twelve sixes, it's just hard to get a called strike. Um, so when I started trying to slurve it, I was able to one throw it harder, which I liked, mm-hmm. uh, but also just kind of command it overall. One of the things I've learned because anytime I was with a pitcher that had a good breaking ball and started with Bert Blylevin, always wanted to see their grip because normally a really good breaking ball has somewhat a unique grip to that particular pitcher. Like he had his thumb on the side, as an example. Uh, Mike Butcher, the pitching coach, Butch used to have a really good hook. I had him in the minor leagues, thumb on the side. And of course, the knuckle curve that started when I was in the seventies, primarily when I was um, in Boulder, Colorado. Bert Hooten had been there before that. Uh, Bert had come up with the knuckle curve, and that became very popular. I think it was the first time I heard about it. But I've, but I've always researched good breaking ball. What's the grip look like? Because I think too many times um, in teaching that pitch, everybody wants to go conventional. This is how you do it. The Spalding guide says put your longer finger here, the shorter finger there, pull down the lampshade, whatever. But almost always when a guy ends up with a good breaking ball, there's a grip that's unique to him. Yeah. Uh, like you said, I was the same basic curveball thrower, mm-hmm. uh, you know, four-seam curveball, make it drop. Um, but we transitioned into like a sweeper grip. Uh, so if we had the backward C. Mm-hmm. I'm putting my hand on the, on the uh, middle part of it and just spiking it and I don't know. It just sat in my hand perfectly and I'm just able to rip it. Um, and I think, you know, in this league, you have to absolutely sell your off speed. You know, it has to be fastball arm speed. Mm-hmm. These hitters are too good. To, they're just able to pick up on little things like that. And I think that's also why it's played up so well is just, it's hard to recognize because it's coming in so quick and it looks like my heater, um, but a really unusual grip for sure. Yeah, you get to the point where it's all about feel. I mean, you're not even thinking about this. The ball gets in your hand, it feels proper. I pick up my target, I throw the ball hard. Yeah. Pretty much got to that point. Yep. It's it sits in my hand and I think the only thing with me and that pitch is that knuckle, I might tip it sometimes. Okay. Um you know, so when there's guys on second, I'll try to knuckle my fastball occasionally sure. just to, you know, mm-hmm. mess them up a little bit and you know, just not giving away those free Free pitches because when when they know it's coming, it's a little bit easier for them. And, you know, just trying to take away that advantage is all we try to do with pitchers. It's probably easier for them to take but not necessarily hit. Yeah. Uh, I think think uh, some some parts of the year this year, I, I think I was tipping it okay. pretty badly just based on, you know, the results of most of the year. It was pretty unhittable. And then there was a small two-week gap where it just got kind of pummeled at a really unusual rate and there was no real change in, in shape or velocity. Tommy, let me just one more time. I mean, because I thought that you're kind of answering that question. I mean, based on the regular season and what you did in the playoffs, something had to happen. You did something differently. Um, was it, was it coming down to a minute um, adjustment like that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, beginning of the year. I mean, I felt like first three months I was pretty darn good pitcher, you know, uh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. you know, you're going to have ebbs and flows. I hurt my shoulder. Okay. And then I think when I came back, I just tried to rush it too much to get back. Uh, but yeah, nothing. My hands usually flush when I throw four seams, mm-hmm. sliders, everything's just kind of here or here. That's it. Mm-hmm. And every pitch on the edgetronics and uh, was just saying that, hey, like if you're, if this is a good pitch, just your hand flush behind the ball. I was just slightly on the side of everything, you know, and for me, I have good carry on my heater. I wasn't having that. And so when you go up in the zone with 14, 15 inches of vertical break, those hitters pumble that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't miss, mm-hmm. you know. So, you know, just getting that edge back of getting the movements right and, you know, location right. And it, it, it just kind of restarted me and put me back to the beginning of the year. It's a classic example where technology is very helpful. Yeah, and I think I, I think give a lot of credit to Mad Dog with mm-hmm. – he doesn't doesn't kill you with information, you know, and, you know, not getting lost in the data stuff like, hey, this game, I only had 15 inches of vert and this mm-hmm. game I had 21. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we use it a little bit, but, you know, we still got to pitch. Correct. Can't be worrying about how, you know, your stuff's moving. You still got to go out there and battle. Cool. 
Yeah, it's interesting. Um, it just by the way, Josh's postseason numbers: twelve innings, zero point seven five ERA, and a one hundred three batting average against. I mean, that is getting it done in the pressure packed games. And Josh, I remember talking to you during the World Series about your pitch mix because, to me, you've always been known for that special fastball that you have. Uh, the great induced vertical break, great ride top of the zone. But things kind of changed for you this year, and you were throwing more breaking balls. And uh, we can see why, with the results being great, especially in the postseason. Um, and you mentioned something to me about you know hitters making adjustments on fastballs. Uh, why don't you talk about your development in terms of going more breaking ball than fastball? Because I'm sure you probably came up as that fastball being the staple yeah. of what you throw. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, we're always told hitters can hit bullets, right? So, you know, I think with, when we just throw all heaters, just say per se in a vacuum, it just gives them a really good opportunity to hit the ball and do damage. Right. And I think for me, just the avoidance of damage was kind of the goal this year. Um, and I know, I know off speeds obviously play better, uh, across the league than, than heaters. So, you know, I, I figured, stop trying to be someone that can only throw heaters. You know, I don't have a, I have a good heater, but I don't think it's, you know, Bartolo Colon sinker, something that he can just dominate with one pitch. Um, but it just kind of slowly transformed into, you know, I have three good pitches. Why don't we use them all? It, it's only going to make my heater better. Um, so, you know, I think the playoffs was the biggest usage of my off speed. I think I threw my curveball 60% of the time. Um, and obviously had good results. And I think, you know, when we're commanding off speed, you don't have to be as fine compared to heaters. You know, I think if I go top shelf heater, I have to get it up there every time to protect myself. Whereas, you know, you can throw a middle, middle curveball, you might get a take, you might get a ground ball. I just think the risk reward factor of throwing more off speed is it's just a better, gives you a better probability to get out, right? And that's all we're looking for. Well, I mentioned we'll get into Josh's backstory. We'll get into that. Keep this in mind, folks. Just two years ago, he was DFA'd by the Dodgers. Imagine that. Two years later, he is closing out the World Series. We'll ask him about that right after this quick message. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger, talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Book of Joe today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Book of Joe. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and Challenge All-Star. And speaking of All-Stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Josh, I mentioned being DFA. I hate to bring up a sore subject, but obviously it turned out great for you. I'm sure you didn't realize that at the time. No one likes to be taken off a roster, but that's what happened February 2021. You'd been with the Dodgers since they drafted you out of Virginia, and they needed a roster spot for Trevor Bauer, who just signed with the Dodgers as a free agent. They were about to have his press conference to introduce him to the Dodgers media, uh, it's a day they'd like to forget at this point. But anyway, for Josh, that meant he was DFA'd. That means your future is basically up in the air. You're waiting for maybe a trade to work out. If nobody claims you, you're a free agent. Tell me about how you found out about that, Josh, because we're talking about really just about when spring training is about to begin um, and how you got through that period before the trade. Uh, yeah, I mean, never a great moment. Uh, you know, I think my time with the Dodgers was great. I'm grateful for everything they did fantastic organization but uh uh got a quick call from um the gm and just said hey we need to make a we need to make room for bauer and you know we're going to dfa you and i think you know i think just ripping the band-aid off telling the truth is what every player wants to hear so you know just being up front was was all i wanted to hear it wasn't a long conversation probably 30 seconds at max um but you know i think we sulked I sold for about an hour and then I was like, you know, this could be an opportunity. You know, I think as relievers these days, unless you're the closer, there's a lot of movement, right? There's always guys getting DFA picked up, you know, so just being open-minded, knowing it's a long year, I just try to approach it like whatever opportunity I get next, I'm going to, I'm going to try to maximize my ability. Um, But you know, I was fortunate the Rangers picked me up and, you know, uh, what, three years, three years from that day, we're, we're, we got the trophy. So pretty blessed, lucky. You know, like I said, I think it was probably the best scenario for me, you know, because breaking that, that bullpen for the Dodgers at the time was dang near impossible with the guys that they were rolling out. I just have a curious question. This is um, on topic, but maybe not. By throwing more breaking balls, like getting off the fastball a little bit and relying more on your breaking ball in that uh, shorter span of time, is it recovery more difficult the next day? Do you have, do you find that to be part of it or, or less than? I actually feel better throwing okay. uh, my off speed, and I think it's I don't necessarily perfectly I don't perfectly tunnel my pitches right off each other. Mm-hmm. I think my uh, arms slightly lower on off speed, so it's a little less stressful on my shoulder. Mm-hmm. So, you know, personally, I, I didn't hate throwing that many off-speed pitches. Uh, but um, I would argue, generally speaking, yeah, throwing more off-speed pitches is not better for you. Yeah, but I, you know what I like? Um, I like that kind of a breaking ball to a left-handed hitter. Yep. I, yep. Like, good, I like good breaking ball, like a, a really well-developed curveball, slurve, slurve, whatever you want to call it, to get underneath the lefty. It seems like... Um, Everybody, uh, you know, when they talk about breaking ball, I mean, I, I prefer slider, cutter, slider, yeah. same side. I like cutter, curveball, opposite side. Yeah. And guys like yourself can really get uh, good and very um, valuable because whether the here comes the pinch hitter. I mean, as a manager, I really wanted to study the reverse guys because yeah. reverse guys, I want to keep the same side guy on him and not always uh, relinquish it to the um, pinch hitter from the other side actually doing you a favor yep. Yep. when you're when you're looking at the left-handed hitter you, you like seeing a big hole 
to throw the ball to as compared to maybe throwing the ball off of a right-handed hitter? How do you how do you see your strike zone uh, with the lefty versus a right-handed hitter? It widens, right? Because yeah, now okay. I have with that curveball alone, I have the back door get me over mm-hmm. that lets them see nothing, right? And then mm-hmm. that twelve the curveball also sets up heater away, heater up and in. Um, and then I can finish it back leg. So I think just opening up the entire zone on the outer half where most lefties don't necessarily do too much damage mm-hmm. on off-speed pitches, you know, it just lets – it forces them to have to cover that side, right? So, you know, once they show me that they're covering up and away or down and away on a curveball, yeah. um, I'm immediately going inside, you know. So I think uh, – I know my splits this year were – especially punch out wise, I think I struck out lefties way more at a higher mm-hmm. rate. And obviously it's because I threw my curveball more. Um, so I think it's just, it allows me to throw that third pitch. It's why we created it because prior years struggled against lefties, you know, with sliders, it's, you got to execute the pitch perfectly for them not to hit it, you know, kind of speeds their bat up, you know, they're in the pull happy phase. So they lift it, it's gone ground ball. It's 110 off the bat. Um, so with the curveball, just gives me more room. I, I feel like just overall against lefties. And I think next year, going into next year, I want to be able to throw it, uh, more to righties. Uh, you know, just even if it just sets up my, uh, slider for a little fish hook or something, um, just being able to use it more against them. Cause I think I just struggled overall punching righties out compared to lefties. That's a great explanation. Um, you know, I, I, I can't agree with you more. I'm just, I just wanted to bring it up because I think a lot of people or a lot of young players, young pitchers don't realize the effect in this. And when you do have multiple breaking balls, you have to really understand which works better against the same side and which works better against the other side. Uh, again, not to become overly predictable, but even if you are, I mean, a well-executed, uh, like you said, backdoor breaking ball to a, a lefty on the outside edge you just make that plate so much wider because it becomes so east-west. Yeah. And then it opens up a variety of things. Have you ever done uh, – do I'm not even sure. Do you throw a changeup at all? Uh, Mad Dog was pushing for it. Yeah. Um, I threw it a few times in live. Mm. Uh, it was more of one of those things I'd – if we're going to commit to, we're going to commit to it in the off season. Right. Um, but I think for me right now, I need to do a much better job of getting righties out. Um, uh, just overall, I was just going to say change 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 up under a right-handed hitter after everything else you did is pretty. That's a James Shields pitch. That's an Alex Cobb pitch. I mean, these yeah the righties that can get underneath righties right-handed pitch underneath the right-handed hitting swing. Yeah, the guys with real flat swings. I look at flat swings. I look at swings that are like a little bit more uppercut um, launch angle kind of swings. Yeah, if a guy's got a flat swing right on right, if a guy's got a flat swing on you, man, you could definitely get underneath that guy. Just dominate him with it. I mean, I, like I said, I'm. Definitely open. We tried splitters. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I have a better feel with change-ups. I mean, before before Pro Ball, I was kind of a sinker-slider mm-hmm. primary mix with a four-seam at the end. Um, and then obviously got to L.A., four-seams at the top were the hot topic. And, you know, 15 to 18, that was end-all, be-all. If you have one, you're going to use it a lot. Right. Um, but, you know, I like having multiple – outs right i want to be able to get a guy out in a variety of ways only to make it harder um mm-hmm. and definitely adding a pitch i'm i'm always open for <laughs> yeah josh i was going to bring up the point that you are a part of this generation that has now grown up understanding the whys and hows of the way pitches work in the old days you didn't have all this data you didn't have the high-speed cameras um and of course you pitched in the world series before in Virginia with Virginia in the college world series, the most outstanding player, 13 scoreless innings, three wins. And yeah, a save in that world series as well, which is pretty cool. Um, but from what I understand, it really was when you got drafted by the Dodgers that you were able to dive into some of the technology and learn about your stuff. And it, it sounds like it, it, it opened your eyes, Josh, and, and what you threw and how you, you've developed as a pitcher changed almost instantly and once you go into that and you know getting on the cameras and and the technology yeah i mean i think uh like i said i got drafted in 15 and i felt like the dodgers were kind of at the forefront of you know implementing those things those those cameras track mans uh but to say that i had a grasp 
grasp of the depth of this knowledge and being able to use it myself, it definitely took some years. Um, and then, you know, you get into this, you can start comparing yourself to other people and then you start using that to see how they pitch, how they use their stuff. Um, and I think, you know, for me, I had no idea what vertical break was in 2015. He couldn't tell me anything about that. I would have no knowledge whatsoever. And, you know, it, it, like I said, it took me a while to understand it. And, you know, once I learned how to, the feel versus real using the cameras, seeing where my hand is and slowly making those adjustments, I think that's when, you know, it started to work with me, for me, I guess. Uh, but it, like I said, it took me three or four years at least to even be able to grasp the knowledge of this stuff. Um, and, you know, I think the last couple of years, I kind of, I've kind of gotten lost in it a little too much, you know, uh, too worried about vertical break instead of just pitching. And I think this year is that's what I did better was just, I know I have good stuff. I need to worry about getting outs because at the end of the day, we play a sport. No one cares about your vertical break. They care about getting three outs um, and winning the game. And so I think getting back to just basics, you know, make sure your stuff's good, but at the end of the day, we are pitching and that's how, that's all you got to worry about. That's a great point. You know, I've heard too many pitchers after a game where they get hit and they'll go to the metrics. Maybe it's a kind of a false confidence they get, but they're like, well, I threw a good pitch. It's exactly the kind of break I wanted. But my line is the hitters will tell you everything you know about your stuff. Right. Yeah. And this is where Josh, I think it's someone like Mike Maddox can come in. I mean, this guy's been a pitching coach for 42 years um, or at least in professional baseball for 42 years, including his own time on the mound. What makes him such a good pitching coach for someone like you? It's oversimplified pitching. Um, like our scouting reports, hey, you're going to put this, you're going to throw this pitch here, this pitch there, and that's all you're going to worry about. And I, I think you said it earlier, we have phenomenal catch catchers. We have three of them all gold glove level. Jonah obviously got his, deserved it. You have Hedges, Garver. So when you have great catchers, right, your scouting report, you don't have to worry about too much because they got it under control. Uh, we had a great defense. So, you know, for me, it just honestly became execute this pitch where he wants it and we'll worry about the next pitch when it comes. So, you know, for Maddox, it was just, we're not going to look at data really ever unless, you know, there's, a couple of outings where your stuff looks different. And, um, you know, I think the older you get, the more you understand it, mm -hmm. you know what your stuff's going to look like before you go out on the field, you know, how you feel visually, what the balls are doing out of the hand. And just, you know, so being able to use your own senses, having coaches, great catchers, just using everything you can is I think the best outcome, I guess, you know, I was fortunate to have, I mean, we didn't really have too many holes in this team. So, you know, just being able to trust these guys doing their homework. I mean, Mad Dog seems to know about every single hitter, what they do right, wrong, without even looking at film. So just, just having that depth of knowledge was really cool, and it was cool to experience. I can't argue with any of that. That's a wonderful explanation. Again, he must have gone to University of Virginia. Did you go to school with Phil Gosselin by any chance? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit older, but I know I know, I know a lot about Phil. Um, heck of a player there. Beautiful, man. No, that's really good stuff. I mean, what you're talking about there, I think, is balance. Yeah. Uh, simplification. I've always said do simple better. Uh, utilizing everything at your disposal. Ab absolutely. But but when the game begins, uh, there's theory and then there's reality. Yeah. Uh, theory could occur as much as it wants before the game. You could get all these wonderful, well-laid plans. And, and uh, I think part of it sometimes people or coaches believe that if they uh, inundate you with stuff that they're actually doing their jobs. Yeah. To me, a, a really good coach will take all this inundation and call it down to the point where you're just getting drops, uh, yeah. nuggets of information. Yeah. Because you, uh, what people don't understand is when you're in a hot moment like you had been just recently, there's no time to disseminate all that and think yeah. about all that. Yep. It's like you, have, like you said, you trusted your catcher. You trusted your ability. You trusted the field. You trusted all the work you have done to that point. And in that moment, Everything comes together in that moment. That blink moment, your intuitive moment, just occurs, and that's what you're doing. And I, man, that's a, a great explanation for my money, and also uh, screams to me why you were so successful in a hot moment. You were just being the pitcher that you are, the athlete that you are, 
competing in the moment and you and you were successful because of that. Yeah, perfect. I mean, I think, you know, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face, right? And I think That's right. Uh, That's right. when we played the Astros, it was just a game of who's going to adapt faster, right? And I think, I mean, you look at our series throughout the entire year, we, we beat them the first series and they came back and just absolutely dominated us, right, for 10 straight games. And then we go to the playoffs, it's the same thing. It was, we had this great plan. It worked two games. Then they come to our place and they just, they changed, right? They they know what we're doing. So they're going to try to take that away from us. And then we go back to their place with a little bit of a change, right? And it, and it panned out. And so I think just being adaptable in this game, right? I, the scouting report might say this, but you play a team three times, you're going to need a change. You can't throw two strike heaters up and in every single time they're, they're going to cheat to it and then they're going to hit it out. Mm -hmm. Hey Josh, I got to bring you back to uh, I call it a uh, Mike Maddox moment because I, I was joking with Mike throughout the postseason season uh, <laughs> that we should keep a stat for OPS after a mound visit. And his was like zero. I mean, it was amazing. <laughs> so I want to take you back to the situation in the clinching game. It's the eighth inning. There's two outs and Alec Thomas gets on base and we know he can run. It's still a one nothing game at that point. Yeah. And Mike comes out to the mound. And I'm thinking, Alex Thomas has to run here. I mean, with two outs, bottom of the lineup, outfield is playing deep. So it's going to take two hits to get him in. Uh, to me, the DNA of the Diamondbacks yeah. is play fast and loose. And that's a guy who can play that kind of game at first base. I think the stolen base is in order. Yeah. I was shocked he didn't run in the course of that uh, plate appearance. You did not throw over. You didn't slide step. So take me through the mound visit of Mike Maddox and just concentrating on, on the out, which you got, obviously, with a, a called strike three. Uh, yeah, I mean, when Mad Dog comes out, it's, it's one of two situations. You're pitching pretty poorly <laughs> or a pinch hitter's coming in, right? And, you know, the pinch hitter uh, was Paven Smith, played with him in college, loved the kid, phenomenal player. Um uh, so immediately we just talk about the scouting report. Um, uh, and for him, it was kind of keep it away. Don't go in that inner half lefty swing. Uh, and so we talked about curveballs, heaters up, no sliders, pretty much the whole game plan. Um, I knew, I knew Thomas was fast. Um, uh, but I think, I think what kind of slowed them down a little bit was Jonah Heim throwing. I think he only threw out two guys over in the series maybe but i think just that little bit of doubt that jonah put in the runners by throwing guys out was was enough for them to you know deter them from running um and i knew it was going to be thomas was going to steal the first two pitches i felt like and that was it so once i got through that gap uh, i just immediately worried about you know the guy in front with Pavin. uh and I think I went one, two, three pitches. It was a one-two count. And then my immediate focus was get this out. Don't worry about the runner. Um, and so executed that curveball back door, punch out, and, you know, happy he didn't run. But, you know, again, I keep saying it over and over again, but, you know, having a catcher like Jonah can do a lot of things to a game, just change it overall. I thought you were going to mention the fact that there was two outs you're saying, correct? There was two outs in that moment. Yeah. So yeah. just, just uh, really uh, bear down on the hitter, please. You know, if he's going to run, he's going to run. We're going to just do your normal thing. But for me in that situation, I want all of your energy pushed, put on that hitter right there. Yeah. More than because yeah. yeah. what you're trying to do for the Diamondbacks perspective with Tom's talking about, I, I want to split your concentration. I want yeah. you to think about yeah. me yeah. Um, and your stuff is so, good right now just let's just get this hitter out walk into dugout we'll worry about the next inning yeah so uh to me that was once you got to that one two count by just totally discounting him and for me you could have just discounted him from the very first pitch yeah i think i think the first pitch i was a little worried mm -hmm. and i think i threw a pretty pretty bad pitch overall mm -hmm. and then after that, i was like well, i still got a pitch to him so let's That's just right. just bear down and figure it out from very there good. very good Wow, just clutch pitching. By the way, I have to ask you, Josh, because you were with the Dodgers in 2020, uh, the year they won the World Series, the bubble year. Um, you spent most of the year at the alternate site. You did throw a few innings for the Dodgers that year. 
Uh, where were you? Were you in the bubble with the team in the course of the postseason? Yeah. And I'm assuming you did get a World Series ring from that year. Yeah. Uh, five weeks in a hotel. <laughs> sure enough, it was. We were our whole the whole time. I was with you, brother. I was there in that bubble, man. That was a long month. I was. I was about ready to go home. I'll tell you that. But um, I, I mean, I think I watched every game from the Rangers' home gym. Just watching it there, it was it was a long five weeks, but uh, you know I was able to learn a lot. I think they went down three one to the Braves. You know, just the way they were able to stay together, stay as a team, stay relaxed. You know, I was able to learn a lot from it. You know, wasn't happy that I got to play, but you know I tried to be a good teammate, be out of the way essentially, just be non-existent. Uh, that way they can do their jobs. And, uh, yep, blessed to get a ring. Um, and, you know, like I said, got nothing bad to say about the Los Angeles Dodgers. They're a phenomenal organization. Well, it's a great story, man. We're, we're so happy for you. Thanks for jumping on with us. Um, you know, you've learned yourself how quickly this game can turn over, going from DFA to the World Series clincher. And, listen, it looks like there's nothing but good things ahead for both you and the Texas Rangers. So uh, congratulations. I'm sure you're enjoying the afterglow. I hope it lasts throughout the off season. Uh, we got a little short of a season, right. shorter That's off right. season this year, but uh, those are the best kind, Josh. Those are the best kind. <laughs> so you know you did something right. But yeah, thank you guys for having me on. Um, it was really cool. Great job. I just want to just I just really enjoy your process. I think it's outstanding. Uh, there's no reason for me to believe that you're not going to continue along this path. I, uh, this is just the beginning for you, man. Yeah. Uh, great job. And just keep thinking the way you are. It's it's outstanding. Your process and your program sounds like it's right on the money. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. We'll have some closing thoughts right after this. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. 
Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Michael Rappaport, and my wife, PB Rappaport, starting May 8th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, Joe, that was really fascinating. Um, I'm always curious kind of what's going on between the guy's ears in the heat of the moment. And uh, that was a really cool look from Josh inside the process is what it takes to get big outs in a postseason environment, what it takes just to to be there in that situation. So uh, thanks to Josh. That was really, really enjoyable. I found that fascinating. Very clear, very lucid in regards to his approach. I think he's 29 years of age. Is that accurate? Something That's like right. that? Yeah. And that's almost sometimes, I mean, when uh, back with the Angels and then the Rays, I always liked getting uh, relief pitchers that were 27, 28, 29 years of age from someplace else where they had not really gotten it done, but had good arms and um, had a nice, uh, potentially a nice future about him because all of a sudden, once it hits, it does. And it, and it did for him. So uh, again, he understands himself extremely well. He knows exactly what he's doing and why he's doing it. I love that part of it. And then he also demonstrated why where technology could be very good and also where sometimes you have to exercise judgment in regards to how much to utilize. Exactly the kind of balance that I think is necessary. But, yeah, I was really impressed with him as a person. I thought he sounded great. And, and again, he's, uh, he's, set up, he's set up for a really bright future. Absolutely. I mean, Joe, he's got closers type stuff. Mm -hmm. He's in a 90th percentile in terms of fastball, velo, whiff rate, ride on that pitch. And yet, as we heard him talk, you know, the breaking stuff has played up more than his fastball, especially in a postseason environment. I I thought that was really fascinating. And I'm sure you've seen it, Joe, the postseason Mm -hmm. where, you know, breaking ball percentages are going to go up in the postseason. It's not here it is, hit it kind of challenge mentality. You can get by in the regular season. And he's got the stuff to, to get you out either way. That, that was really impressive. The whole arc of his career, as you mentioned, the technology aspect helped him learn what he has and how to use it. Mm-hmm. But then he got a little too deep in it and had to get away with it. And that's where a manager like Bruce Bochy and a pitching coach like Mike Maddox can get you back to square. But be, you know, just be an athlete on the mound and go compete. That's what I heard. I heard all of that. And uh, again, I never really had met him before. Um, again, you could tell the University of Virginia education, he's a very bright young man. So again, I just I was I was really um, impressed with uh, the style he spoke with us. Equally impressed with his work in the World Series. Yeah, and again, I got to give Bruce Bochy a lot of credit. I mean, he just let him ride. You know, there are situations where, it, it, by the book, it would have called for, for instance, Pavin Smith Smith pinch hits, Aroldis Chapman to come in and take that plate appearance, mm-hmm. or if it's the ninth inning, automatically give the ball to your closer, Jose LeClerc. Mm-hmm. Boach is a guy who pays attention to what he's looking at. And in all these cases in the postseason, he saw that Josh Spores was his guy, reliable guy. There was no reason to take him out based on the way he was throwing. Agreed. It's all it's about uh, it's about the eyeballs. It's not about knowing your guy. To what extent LeClerc might have been sore that night, we don't even know. Uh, there's all little different ditties going on there that plays into that particular decision. But it is. It's an eyeball decision. It is a gut decision for those that don't want to hear that. It is a decision of experience. Uh, Boach has been through that before. He saw it in his mind's eye, and it was the right move. Great stuff from Josh, and we really appreciate him hopping on with us. And um, he was the closer for the World Series. Joe, you're our closer for the Book of Joe podcast. So what do you got? Well, he set me up. He set you up? He set me up. Uh, He's your setup guy, huh? Yeah. um, He's talking about when he got DFA. And he said something to the effect that uh, the GM came down and told me the truth. He told me the truth, exactly what's going on. And I was able to deal with that. And he's talking about, till this day, how much he really has respect and likes the Dodgers organization. So uh, tell me the truth, and I might not like you for a week or 10 days, but lie to me. I mean, hate you forever. So I went to my own archives right there. He uh, Exactly what he said, and it's so true. When you're dealing with professional people... Everybody, which I shouldn't just say professionals, but in our game, professionally speaking, tell the guy the truth. Tell him the truth. You don't have to remember what you had said. It's going to be there again when you need it. And he might not like it, but I promise you the respect will remain. And eventually it'll come back to you. And that's exactly what he just said. And I really appreciated that. Great advice Mm -hmm. and a great episode. I really enjoyed that one. Thanks, Joe. Thank you, buddy.
The Book of Joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast! podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.